thanks for tuning in to Crossover Conversations, a podcast tackling the struggles that teenagers face today. It is our goal to give students a sound, biblical perspective in order to help them navigate their way through life. What is up, guys? Hey, it's your boy, Michael Nanny, back again for episode number two of Crossover Conversations. Um, I hope that last week's episode was helpful for those of you who listen. Um, I heard some some very positive and encouraging feedback from some of you last week, and I just want to say to those who did reach out, who did text, who did send a DM, whatever, thank you guys, truly thank you. Like That means more than you know, and it really is encouraging to me and, and is really what's keeping this podcast going. I know we're only on like episode two, but that encouragement really does mean so much more than you uh, than you think, you know. And you know the cool thing about this this platform of doing a podcast is that it's one it's available on multiple different platforms, but two you can go back and listen to those things previous episodes whenever you are feeling like you're struggling with depression or whatever else we're going to be talking about. So that's that's really cool to me. I think that's going to be really cool um, in the future, and I hope that this podcast is a as a resource for you. Uh, for you to go to for biblical advice and encouragement, something that you can go to when you're feeling down and you can go to episode whatever and get some encouragement, get some feedback and get some some positive um, input on that topic. So today we're going to be looking at uh, another thing that most teenagers and even a lot of adults struggle with, and that's this idea of identity. You know, this is something that, again, I, I, again, I say most people struggle with this. Um, I know that I did. And when I say identity, I mean like how you define yourself. How do you define yourself? How you answer the question, who are you? That's your identity. That's what people uh, define as their identity. And if you were to do like a a random Google search to the question, you know, you go to Google and you type in, where do most people find their identity? You would get about 900 million results. Now, I don't know how many of those are actually like beneficial or how many um, are from a biblical perspective, but there's still a lot of results on this one topic of identity. So why is there so many results and why is it important? Well, it's because people are always searching for their sense of self. They're looking for something to give them their identity. And I'm not going to claim that that I have all the answers because I don't. But my goal for this this episode and for the next few minutes is just to look at this issue and discuss this issue from a, bil- a biblical perspective, right? So Psychology Today, which is a, a big uh, psychology article, you know, based, they define identity as the basic values that dictate the choices we make. And those choices reflect who we are and what we value. Now, I went on to read the rest of the article and it went on to say that few people actually ever choose their identity. Now, what they mean by that is that instead of choosing who they are or what they value, rather they internalize the values of their parents or their dominant cultures. Sadly, these values that they align themselves with don't really align with their true identity, their authentic self, which creates this sense of an unfulfilled life. Now, in contrast to that, people who are fulfilled, people who have found their identity, live a life that's true to their values and pursue meaningful goals. And that's the struggle that I think most teenagers face. Not, you know, I'm not going to say that all teenagers face it, but most teenagers face it. And even some adults face that, that challenge of finding out who they are. Um, and so kind of the struggle with this is that a, a person may actually hold multiple identities, such as father or teacher or spouse or friend, or you fill in the blank. Now, each position 
or role has its own meaning and expectations that are often internalized as identity. So for instance, a father, right? If you're a father, you can sometimes find your identity in the fact that you are a father or a teacher. If you're a teacher out there, shout out to all you teachers for COVID season. Y'all are doing a fantastic job. Um, but if you're a teacher, you can sometimes find your identity in the, the sense of you're a teacher. And that's what this means. And so, yeah, all of those are different roles that a singular person could hold. A singular person could be a father and a teacher and a spouse and a friend. And so what this article was saying was that if you are trying to find your identity in that thing, if you're trying to find your identity in that role, your struggle is never going to be complete. You're never going to find your true identity because you're finding it in all these different things and all those different things, all those different roles have different expectations on you, right? The expectations of a father are different than the expectations of a teacher or a spouse, and so if you're trying to find your identity in those things, you're never going to find your true self. You know, psychology tells us there, that a major task of self-development during early adolescence is the differentiation of multiple selves as a function of social context with an awareness of the potential contradictions. Now, again, that sounds pretty confusing and, and it can be. And so I want to try to clear that up. Um, just by giving you a little bit of, of uh, personal experience from my own personal life. You know, when I was in high school, um, and those of you who know me probably know a lot of this, but when I was in high school, I really struggled with this. Um, and I think, uh, again, a lot of teenagers face this same struggle. You know, I would go to to school and I would be one person in the classroom with this group of friends and then I would go to basketball practice and be a different person and act differently and say different things when I was with the basketball team or with the soccer team or the football team or whatever. And then I would go to play practice, right? And I would be somebody else completely. And then I would go home and just kind of shut down and um, distance myself and go sit in my room or whatever. And so uh, I was a different person there. And then I would go to church and I would be a different person there. And so that's what psychologists mean when they say a major task of self-development during early adolescence is the differentiation of multiple selves. That's the struggle is that you, you're trying to find, am I, am I truly my true self when I'm with this group of friends or am I truly my true self when I'm at church or at home or whatever? And the struggle is that you let your surroundings influence the way you behave or the way you think or the way you talk or the way you act. That's the struggle that a lot of people face. And you may see this in yourself or in your children as they, you know, you may see them act happy and cheerful around their friends, but sad or depressed when they're at home with their family. You know, they struggle to know which one is their real identity. The good news is that, however, you know, as, as people mature cognitively, they achieve, they achieve a sense of coherence in their identity. But even then, the struggle is to, to find their identity in the right things. We can find our identity in several things. As I mentioned earlier, as a, as a father, as a spouse, as a teacher, you can find your identity in several different things. So the challenge is trying to discern what we should define our identity, where we should find our, our identity. So identity may be acquired indirectly from parents or peers or, or other roles. Children come to define themselves in terms of how they think their parents see them. So if their parents see them as, as worthless or no good or dumb or anything like that, they're going to eventually come to the point where they see themselves that way. 
They're going to see themselves as worthless or dumb or, or whatever you want to fill in the blank with. You know, one of my mentors always says that kids repeat what they hear their parents saying and how uh, and act how their parents act. So if you're a parent, what you say and do will influence your child's identity. So my challenge to you is just to speak life into them, be encouraging to them, lift them up. I'm not saying don't get on to them. You know, the Bible does call us to uh, to reprove our children and to rebuke our children and to uh, punish our children for when they do wrong. But speak life into them. Make sure it's always out of love and that you're speaking life, speaking joy into your children because that's going to shape their identity. In a recent study done by the Barner Group, which is a, a big research thing, they do a lot of different research. It's pretty cool. Um, but the Barner Group asked adults how, how much a variety of factors influence their personal identity. And so some of these came to us, came as a, as a surprise. You know, uh, it, it may be surprising that family ranks first. Or it's perhaps unexpected how much more likely certain groups such as elders or practicing Christians or residents of the Midwest may be surprising that, that they are uh, so easy to say that family ranks as a number one or as a top priority in their identity. Whereas people who are millennials or with no religious affiliation or residents of the West are less likely to say that family has a big uh, input into their identity. Now, as you can tell, just from that one statement that, that these two separate groups of people are, are struggling with this shows us that there are several aspects that play into a factor or that play into one's identity. Things like family and religion and even geography can affect your identity. So according to that study that the Barna Group did, adults are most likely to point to their family as making up a significant part of their personal identity. Being an American comes second, and religious faith is in third, right? That same study found that 62% of people said family made up a majority of their identity. 52% said being an American makes a large portion of their identity. 38%, which is about two out of five adults, said that their religious faith makes up uh, their identity. 38% said that their religious faith makes up a good portion of their identity. 23% said their ethnic group played a major role in their identity. 23% said their career defined them. 21%, that's one in five people, said their state government gave them their identity. And then 16% found their identity in the town that they're in or the town that they grew up in or whatever. So as believers, if you're a believer, those statistics should trouble you. Some of those people who said that family is their, their number one thing that uh, defines their identity would also claim to be Christians. And as we're going to get to, the Bible says that your identity should be found in what the Bible says versus your family or your ethnic group or your whatever. So when it comes to finding identity in our American citizenship, there is nearly a 50-point drop-off between the oldest generation and the youngest. Four out of five adults or four out of five elders would say that being an American makes up a large portion of their personal identity. But only one third of millennials, 34% to be exact, would say the same. Gen Xers or millennials are significantly less likely than their older counterparts to claim any of the factors make up a large portion of their identity. So why, why is that? Why are, are Gen Xers and millennials so uh, hesitant to give in to these 
religious ideals or in, and these things that make up your identity. Well, as you study millennials, as you study these age groups, that specific age group is known for wanting to be individualist, for wanting to break away from traditional narratives and resist being, quote unquote, boxed in by what they perceive as limiting expectations. They think that if if my identity is found in family, then that family is going to limit who I can be. That's what these these group of people think. That's what these younger people think. And so psychologists assume that identity formation is a matter of, quote unquote, finding oneself by matching one's talents and potential with available social roles. That's great. It's great to find a, a sense of joy in those things, social roles. You know, the article went on to say that we should define ourselves by positive activity, doing things that you enjoy. Now, I would echo that and say, yeah, those things are great and you should do the things that you enjoy. However, I don't think that you should find your identity in those things. And I think the Bible tells us exactly not to do that. You should do the things like reading and writing and music and those other things that you enjoy. But you should not find your identity in those things. As Christians, our identity is most certainly not found in those things. We need to find our identity in, in Scripture and who God says that we are. So remember, at the beginning of this episode... I said I did a Google search where, uh, and the result came back that most people asked the question, if you typed in Google, um, where do most people find their identity? There was over 900 million results. Well, I did a similar search. Uh, and if you type in uh, into Google, who does the Bible say that I am, you would get about 304 million results. That's just a third of the last question. Now I want to give a list of several verses in the Bible that tell us who we are. Remember, identity relates to our basic values that dictate the choices we make, and very few people choose their identity. So if you're searching for your, your identity, I encourage you to find it in this list, list of scriptures. And there's going to be so many more that I could list off. But here's just a couple that I, that I think are important. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the author writes, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own, he being God, possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isaiah chapter 62, verses 3-5, through 5, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall not be termed forsaken, and your land shall not be formed, or shall not be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoice over you. He's talking about believers here. First John chapter three, verse one. See what kind of the father, or see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Again, in Galatians chapter 3, 
Paul writes, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So those of you who believe, who are uh, identified as Christians, who believe that Jesus came and died and rose again, Paul says that through that, through that belief, you are sons of God. Again, Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 16 through 17, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Romans chapter 8 again, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Colossians 3, 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Psalm 139, 14. This is uh, one that uh, a lot of people know and a lot of people will quote. Uh, the psalmist writes, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And you can even go back to the creation story and see this. In Genesis chapter 1 through 2, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, just for time's sake, but if you know the creation story, you know that God created uh, the heavens and the earth and the light and all the animals and all these things. He did that in five days, and he said it's very, or he said it's good. He said all these things that I've just created are good. And then on day six, he creates man, and when he creates man, he says this is very good, and he gives man a specific job to to work the land and to be fruitful and multiply. And he gives uh, man a, a, a specific role to be over all of creation, to rule over the earth and gives him a job, take care of the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And out of all the creation, man is the only thing that was made in God's image. And man was also the only thing that God gave a job. And man was also the only thing that um, God says is very good. And so this is a very important aspect for us to, to look at, that, that God says, you, man, are very good. His prized possession, right? We all have prized possessions. We have things like, for me, I love guitars. I like playing guitar, and I just bought a new guitar, and I love it. Um, that's one of my prized possessions. I will do anything to take care of that guitar because it's a nice guitar. We have prized possessions. Well, that's what God says about you, is that you are his prized possession, Last verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And I could go on and on and on. There's so many other verses that talk about us being children or heirs of God or his prized possession or things that we could go to to say, this is who I am in Christ. This is what the Bible tells me. I am. But I want to focus on that last one, that, that verse in Ephesians for the next few minutes. There are three words that I think define us, that we should find our identity in. So I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. I want to see if you can pick them out. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Did you catch them? There's three of them. Word number one, chosen. These verses tell us that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now that can be a little confusing sometimes, this idea of choosing. It's not like when you're a kid and you're on the on the you know playground and you're picking teams for football. It's not, I'm choosing Johnny, but I'm not going to choose Jimmy. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying that 
he's picking a, a group as a whole, right? I'm picking the New Orleans Saints to win the Super Bowl. I don't know who's actually going to win the Super Bowl, but if I had to pick, I would say them. I'm going to say the New Orleans Saints are going to win the Super Bowl, not Drew Brees or not Tom Brady or whoever, but that team as a whole is going to win the Super Bowl. And that's the image here that that God chose the group of people. In the Old Testament, he chose the group of people known as the Israelites, as his chosen people, his chosen race. So they were God's chosen people. And then fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus comes and he abolishes this old way of thinking and says, all right, you who believe in me, you are the chosen people. So those who believe are God's chosen people. He doesn't choose who believes, but rather he says that those who choose to believe are going to be his chosen people. So if you're a born-again believer, you are chosen by God. Second word is holy. The word holy just means set apart. Some of you know exactly what that means, to be set apart. right? You've got a very specific t-shirt that you're going to wear on your date. First of all, if you're wearing a t-shirt on a date, you might need to rethink your dating style. But you have a specific outfit that you're going to wear when you go on a nice date. You only wear it for those nice occasions. Or you only wear it for that specific whatever. You have something that is set apart for that specific occasion. It's set apart. That's what it means to be holy. And if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? That means that you are holy. God has set you apart. So you're holy. You're chosen. You're holy. In word three, you're blameless. The suffix less, right? If you add the suffix less to something, it just means that it's lacking, right? If you have a hairless cat, first of all, I'm sorry. I think those are, never mind, I'm not going to say that. But if you have a hairless cat, um, that just means that your cat is lacking hair. Once we accept Jesus, the Bible says that we are now blameless. Well, how can that be, right? I still do bad things. How can that be? Well, Romans tells us that we have all sinned against God and that the payment for that sin is death. But the Gospels tell us that Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life and that he died that death for us. He took all the blame and punishment for our sin. And now through believing in his sacrifice, we can have eternal life and become blameless through him you can become blameless through him you can be chosen and holy and blameless that's our identity as believers so if you're struggling to find your identity find it in christ people are always seeking to find their identity again remember 900 million results on where people find their identity so people are always seeking to find their identity in something and what better place to find it than what God, the creator of the universe, says about you. Now, I hope and pray that you will find your identity, not in a job, not in a title or what people say about you, but in God who loves you and sent his son to die for you. Everyone who listens to this podcast, Jesus died for you. He came to live a perfect sinless life to die for you so that through your belief in him, you can be chosen and holy and blameless and become a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. That's our identity as believers. That's our identity, not in a job, not in a title, not in X, Y, Z. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. This week's verse of encouragement, as we're going to close, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, he made him to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness 
of God. Guys, it's through believing in that sacrifice that we are made whole in Christ. That verse actually calls us the righteousness of God. Who wouldn't want to be that? Who wouldn't want to be the righteousness of God? And the only way to do that is to find your identity in Christ through belief in Him. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode of Crossover Conversations. Thank you guys for tuning in and be looking out for next week's episode. Um, But until then, stay safe, God bless, and Merry Christmas. Peace.